To not forgive someone is to choose not to get close to God. Right? I mean, it's not, you, it's, it's not a neutral thing. To not forgive is to choose that I don't want to get close to God. Because forgiveness is a part of who he is. It's a part of his character. It's a part of his attributes, if you will, his grace and mercy. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Forgiving others when they do wrong to us. It's hard to do, right? We've all struggled with it. And yet for Christians, it's not a neutral issue. It must be dealt with in order to maintain an authentic walk with Christ. Well, that's our focus today on Living a Legacy. We're early into a series called Better Together, the One Another's of the New Testament. If you're new to us, Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 40 years, recently retiring as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. He's authored such books as Lessons from a Life Coach, Leadership as an Identity, and Unshaken. Crawford continues to speak at conferences throughout the country. At the end of our program today, I'll have information about how to stream many of Crawford's messages on your phone or computer. Let's head to our study today. Our text, Ephesians chapter 4. Here's Crawford Loretz with the message, Forgive One Another, on Living a Legacy. Now, it's hard for us Americans, you know, on our brand of Christianity in the West, particularly here in the United States, you've heard me say this before, but it is true. If there is an Achilles heel about our brand of Christianity, it is that it is too individualistic. It is too individualistic. Now, don't get me wrong. We have to individually come to Jesus and experience him as Savior and Lord. But the New Testament knows of no sanctification apart from community, apart from relationship. We are, we, we are saved. We come to Christ and we're placed in a body. And, and it's not just for our mutual encouragement, not just so that we can be built up personally, although that's important, but it's because it's for, now hear me, hear me, hear me, it's for the corporate testimony of God before a watching, lost, unbelieving world. The Bible says, the Bible says that, that we have been built up as a dwelling place of God in the world. That his body, his church, the community of Christians is the dwelling place of God in the world. So how we relate to one another is not just a nice thing to do, just be kind to one another and get along and that kind of thing. It is the stewardship of the testimony of God in the world. Now, and it's important to understand that. And if we're not in community with one another, we will develop a dysfunctional Christianity. We will develop a dysfunctional Christianity. And so the purpose of the one another's is not just to be, you know, get along nice and do, it's kind to do that. It's just wonderful to do that. No, no, it is the stewarding of the corporate testimony of God to a watching world. My Christianity is not just individual, it is corporate. It is corporate. We are connected. Whether we like it or not, we are connected. So we began this series with these uh, nine one another's that we're talking about here. I began with what I thought is, is, is the place to begin, and that is loving one another, loving one another. It can be argued all of these other one another's are extensions of loving one another. And I made the observation that love is not cheap. It's not, it's not, it's not just a feeling in the scriptures. Love in the scriptures implies sacrifice. It implies sacrifice. 
sacrifice. To love one another does not mean that we have a negotiated relationship or a quid pro quo relationship or a what's in it for me relationship or a win-win relationship. To really love biblically means that I am willing to disadvantage myself for the comfort of someone else. To love someone in the New Testament sense means that I am willing to disadvantage myself for the comfort of another. We don't throw people away because they have a different perspective or they, it's, a, it's a minor issue or their preferences are different than mine. I don't elevate it to that level of, of fellowship. No, we, we major on the majors. And there are times in which we have to sacrifice for one another. So it can be argued, again, that all nine of these, all nine of these one another's really is another expression or conduit of that kind of love, disadvantaging myself for the comfort of another. That's very important to understand. It's very important to understand. We are consumers here in the West. We are, what is it, what, what is, what's in it for me here in the West? And we, we are, we're personal and privatized here in the West. We're individualistic here in the West. We minimize sacrifice. We want to maximize gain. But in the scriptures, it's a little bit different. You, you gain by giving. You gain by sacrifice. So now we're going to step into this forgiving one another. This is an ouchy one right here. Right? Not a day goes by if you pass five years old. Not a day goes by where you don't have to forgive. Every single day of our lives, we've got to forgive somebody for something. I mean, somebody says something idiotic. Uh, we say something idiotic. Somebody says something idiotic. Somebody, you know, uh, they, 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 they do something that I don't like, or they say something that's personal that I don't care for, or I don't like the way they view this, or I don't like that, or I don't like this. And Well, you know, every single day of our lives, we're offended in one way or the other. So the issue in life is, is not whether I'm going to deal with forgiveness issues. If you're going to live and have any kind of joy at all in life, you've got to learn how to deal with forgiveness. One of the first questions I ask a young couple who want to get married, I ask them this question, and, and they kind of shocked and said, tell me, tell me about your ability to forgive. And the reason I ask that question is because the depth and degree of your intimacy as a couple is determined by your ability to forgive. And if you cannot forgive, if you struggle with forgiveness, you will never get but so deep in your walk and relationship with one another. Forgiveness is just a part of life. You know, every single day of our life, there's something that's going on. There's the endless parade of offenses. There are tragic things that happen. I mean, you got awful, tragic, vicious, vicious stuff that takes place. You know, the, we can be cruel as human beings, and then you get the devil involved in this and our own strongholds in our lives and the exponential sin that just explodes on people. It can be a mess. 
Then, of course, there's the endless parade of other personal offenses and pain and, you know, an unfaithful spouse, insensitive parents, rebellious children, heartless in-laws, overbearing and possessive bosses and authority figures, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So all that to say that sin has permeated every relationship, everything about us. There's no perfect human being. And forgiveness is on the table. Now, I, I need you to bear with me here because I, you know, I wrestled whether with, with whether or not I should do what I'm about ready to do here because it, it's, it's sort of broad. But I promise you we're going to get to Ephesians 4.32. I just felt as if I needed to give a little bit of the New Testament, summarize the New Testament teaching on forgiveness because there's a lot of there's a, lot of, there's a lot of teaching on forgiveness that doesn't really square with what the Bible actually teaches about forgiveness. And I think we need to, need to get a handle on these things. And so I'm going to make seven summary observations real quickly about what the New Testament teaches about forgiveness. First of all, all of us are in need of forgiveness. Every last one of us. We're in need of forgiveness. The grand prerequisite to forgiveness is humility. There's no one that's perfect. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now the issue, you may not have the issue that the person has that offended you, but trust me, you got an issue. You got several of them and so do I. So let's, let's get off our little self-righteous high horses and understand that every last one of us Every last one of us, we are all in the need of forgiveness. The second kind of channel or observation I would say is this, and that is that a lack of forgiveness is a barrier to our fellowship with God. You, 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 just, you just don't choose not to forgive and not, it won't affect you. I'm going to say something about that later. To not, to not forgive someone is to choose not to get close to God. Right? I mean, it's not, you, it's, it's not a neutral thing. To not forgive is to choose that I don't want to get close to God. Because forgiveness is a part of who he is. It's a part of his character. It's a part of his attributes, if you will, his grace and mercy and his love toward us. So in Matthew chapter 5, it says, okay, you got a problem and you want to go worship God and this kind of thing, and, but you got an issue with someone or you remember they got an issue with you? Uh, stop the worship service. Because God's not going to receive what you're bringing. The third thing I would say is that we are to forgive others even when they don't ask for it. See, forgiveness in the Bible is immediate. Now, here's the problem, okay? Now, I, I just little, little parentheses here. There's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation and resolution depends normally on more than just one person. Forgiveness just depends on the, on the individual. So it only takes one to give, to give forgiveness. But it may take two, or depending on how many parties are involved and have been impacted, to experience reconciliation. And so the deal is this. We forgive even though the person doesn't ask for it. Don't punish yourself by saying, I'm just waiting for them to ask me to forgive them. I'm just waiting. I'm not going to release it until they ask me. I, I, I'm not being cute or funny, but who's the one being punished? Who's the one being punished? 
Forgiveness is released. Now, now, now the, the resolution may need to be some exchange take place and some other things. Hopefully you can resolve the issue. But forgiveness needs to be released even though a person doesn't ask for it. Number four, we give forgiveness even to those who don't deserve it. The classic illustration is Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He was stoned. There was nothing right about what they did to him. Those people were cold-blooded. They stoned him to death for no other reason than, than his commitment to Jesus. Give me this. We don't choose who we forgive. Even people who have done hellacious, awful, damnable, devastating thing. And by the way, I see kids here, I did not use that term in a profane way. I use it in the sense of a condemnation way. Even people who have done unimaginable things, we forgive. And by the way, I don't want to make this sermon too long, parentheses. To seek forgiveness is not the same thing as not, as not looking for justice. You can look for justice, but also have been forgiven. That's a sermon for another day. But we release that. We release that forgiveness even to those who we think don't deserve it. Number five, we give an unlimited amount of forgiveness. We give an unlimited amount of forgiveness. That's Matthew chapter 18. Peter said, well, Lord, how often should I forgive? Seven times? Seemed to me that's cool. The dude keeps doing this thing seven times. Jesus says, no, no, no. Try 70 times seven. Now, he wasn't talking about 490 times and then 491, the 491st time, you belong to me. No, that's not the point. His point was, no, 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 Peter. Put the calculator down. Put it down. Forgiveness is not focused on the repetitiveness of someone's offense. You know, forgiveness is a state in which we live. That's what he's telling Peter. That's, the, that's what he was telling Peter. This is the state in which you live. So you give it. Number six, uh, there are consequences when we choose not to forgive. There are consequences. Again, Matthew 18, that story that he goes into, Jesus, the parable about this, uh, this servant that, that uh, owed an insurmountable amount of money, this kind of thing. It was it's just terrible, and yet his master forgave him and then flipped the script here the servant finds somebody that did a little tiny thing, comparatively speaking to him, and homeboy wants to put the hammer down. And Jesus bookends that story by giving the punchline. In so many words, he says, uh, if you won't forgive people, God won't forgive you. There are consequences for not forgiving. You can choose not to forgive. But understand, when we choose not to forgive, we're choosing consequences, okay? We're choosing to step out of the protection of God. We're choosing to step out of relationship with him. And so there are consequences when we don't forgive. And then finally, God gives us the ability to forgive. There's no way in the world, humanly speaking, that we can forgive people. There, there, are, things, there are things that folks have done that you, you, the, the, we don't have the power in and of ourselves apart from the grace of God and apart from God's favor. 
We cannot forgive them. I love what uh, devotional writer and pastor Oswald Chambers says along these lines. He says, we talk glibly about forgiveness when we have never been injured. When we are injured, we know that it is not possible apart from God's grace for one human being to forgive another. And I've been there. You know, the people, people, people can do some cruel stuff to you, man. They can do some vicious, awful things to you. And you say, how in the world am I going to forgive this person? You can't do it apart from the grace and the Spirit of God. Forgiveness takes dependence. And see, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. Pride does not, you, you, you mess with me. Who do you think you are? You know, that, hey, well, what? 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 <laughs> you, 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 you pinched me? I'm going to punch you? Come on, man. Who do you think I am? But it takes dependence upon God to forgive. Now, with all that backdrop, let's drop in on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. In Ephesians chapter 4, the context here, again, Paul is talking about relationships in the body, and it's over against the backdrop of the corporate testimony of Christians to a watching world. It's as if he's saying, hey, you, you don't have a private Christianity. You don't have a private Christianity. Your Christianity is very public, and your relationships are very public, very public. And so now he steps into this, this, this verse, and, and this this verse, to me, is all about the compelling beauty of corporate forgiveness. The compelling beauty of corporate forgiveness. Now, listen, listen to the verse. Listen to the, the verse itself. It's filled with tenderness. He says, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Absorb that. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to suggest to you that embedded in this verse are three statements. Three compelling statements. The centerpiece of the verse is forgiveness. The three statements happen to be these. The first statement is that he says, number one, set the environment. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Number two, he says, give the gift, forgiving one another. And number three, he says, maintain the motiv motivation as God in Christ has forgiven you. Number one, he says, set the environment. Set the environment. Kindness and tenderheartedness. Set the environment. Set the environment. The word kind there uh, literally means uh, uh, what is suitable and fitting to a need. What is suitable and fitting to a need. Now, what you have to understand is that these two words, kindness and tenderheartedness, has to do with the, the ability, the ability to not be self-absorbed. He's actually talking about spiritual maturity here. 
Paul would say it this way over in Philippians chapter 2, look not on your own interests, but the interests of another. You cannot, you cannot be kind-hearted and tender-hearted and be self-absorbed at the same time. It is a selflessness. It really implies humility. Now, hear me on this. I've said this here before, but this sounds crazy, right? Humility is not a lack of confidence. It is just the opposite. Only truly confident people can be authentically humble. Only truly confident people can be authentically humble. You see, confident people say, it's a God confidence. No, God will take care of me. I know who I am. I'm secure in him. And because of that security in him, I, I don't have to go around constantly being needy and, and, and brokering affirmation and soliciting undue attention, and I don't have to be defensive, but I am free to give. And so that's what he's saying here. No, your, your posture toward others, you, you ought to be the mature one. You, you ought to be Crawford, you ought to be, your attitude toward other people or should be kindness. You ought to be looking for areas of need in their lives in which you can give them gifts to help them to be all that they need to be. The expression tenderhearted here is, uh, well, literally means inner affections, but it implies to be compassionate. Really, letting your heart go out to others. Flipping the script, it's talking about stop being so emotionally protective. Stop being so emotionally guarded. And I know the reason why we are is because we've been hurt, but what's the alternative? We've all been hurt. We all have been hurt. Our feelings have been stepped on. But what he's saying is that, look, you've got to be secure enough, Crawford, You've got to be secure enough in your walk and relationship with me that you let your heart go out to other people. In other words, see, the, the, the operative question is this, the applicational question is this. What do people feel when they come within your orbit? Do they feel kindness? Do they feel tenderheartedness? Or do they feel defensiveness? Are you, buried, are, you, are you constantly up? Or they feel like, and you, have you ever been around people? I know you have. I've been around some folks and I've left their presence and I've said to myself, oh, I wonder who hurt them. Constantly critical, negative. And here, Paul is making the assumption, no, 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 you, you can be kind. No, you can be tenderhearted. What's the environment that you set? Why are you so defensive? Set that environment. The question is, how welcoming are we? How welcoming are we? Crawford Loritz here on Living a Legacy. Forgive one another, the title of today's message. You know, sometimes we think our failure to forgive someone is not that big a deal. And in fact, we think we owe it to ourselves when we've been wronged by someone. But as Crawford said, for Christians, forgiveness is not a neutral thing. It's part of God's nature. And as followers of Christ, it should be part of our nature as well. 
some challenging stuff. And we'll get to the second half of this message next week. Hope you'll be right back here with us. Crawford is in a new series called Better Together, the One Another's of the New Testament. Now, if you weren't able to be with us for all of today's message, get caught up on our website, livingalegacy.org. We stream the program there, livingalegacy.org. Or find today's message under Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for joining us. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.